Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Run Out Radio. I'm Jerry Forsyth, alongside Mike Howerton, and we are brought to you today by the Tap League, Simonis Billiard Cloth, and Lucasi Hybrid Cues, our favorite sponsors. Mike, how you been? I'm good. It's been a while since we've done anything, so we've got all kinds of news to talk about. Yeah, well, I know we've got three events to talk about, one that we were both involved in, and then I went away to one, and you went away to one, and we've also got a great guest. Uh, we've got Mike DeShane coming on to talk to us later, so I'm looking forward to that. What would you like to cover first here? Well, let's do them in order. We were both in Dallas. Yeah, which was really great for me because, as you are aware, I had lived in Dallas for 30 years. And, uh, boy, the area has changed since I moved away in 2003. That Frisco, where we held the uh, Ultimate Pinball Championship, it was just a farm uh, when I lived out there. And now it's uh, an amazing, bustling little metropolis. It was a really nice venue. Uh, I thought the event was was first class all the way. I did, too. Um, I like the idea a lot of having the tournament played in the host hotel so that you're not having to go outside and hop a cab to get to the venue. It just makes it very convenient, especially for the players. They can go back to their rooms and rest between rounds. I thought there were a lot of people who need to be congratulated on that event. Body Nazhat, of course, was the promoter. First congratulations go to him, but also the tournament promoters, Ken Schumann, did a great job, and uh, Zach Ballas, who we did not know. And frankly, I had been told that all he'd done before was some small events, so I was expecting him to fall on his face out there. He really did a great <laughs> job. I mean, every he, I don't know how he did such a great job because he didn't get any sleep, but uh, he worked his butt off and everything went real smoothly. It did, and uh, I agree. It was nice to have the, the event right there at the venue, so there was no traveling involved. I'm sure uh, Ralph Suquet wishes more events were like that, but we'll get into that later. Yeah, we'll talk about that one later. <laughs> I loved um, the rule that they put in place where the men had to wear a vest. It, it brought a little bit of class to the event. Yep. Yeah, I did like that. The only, the only two criticisms I have are the food service in the venue could have been improved, but that's one of those things where you're making long-distance plans, and the hotel says, oh, yeah, we'll have a snack bar set up with pizza and hot dogs and all that. And you think, yeah, that's great, fine, and that's not the only detail you have to cover, so you let that one go, and then when you get there, you find out the only thing worse than the pizza is the hot dog. <laughs> so I'd like to see that picked up on. And it's the same old tired story about referees, uh, body tried to do the right thing and have a referee at every table, and there just aren't that many qualified referees in America. I mean, there are just not enough of them. Um, so I don't know what you do about that. You either put a referee on every four tables, or you do you fall back on the old frustrated standard of having uh, one referee for the room, and when players think a referee is needed, they've got to stop play and call him over. Well, I mean, I think you hit you hit it, you know, the nail on the head with Body tried to do the right thing, and and it's nice to see. I mean, Body's not a new promoter; he's been he's been doing this for a couple of years now. But 
you know, it did appear as if he were trying to do everything first class. Uh, I love the idea of having a ref at every table, but yeah, it did cause some problems when some of the refs just disappeared, and you know, then you've got players who are having to to step in for refs, and that got a little weird. Um, you know, speaking of players, there were a couple of players who played in that event that we haven't seen for a while. Certainly Roger Griffiths being one of them, uh, C.J. Wiley being one of them. I got a chance to watch part of uh, one of C.J.'s matches, and I mentioned it to you while we were there at the venue. Even with him not winning the match, it was such a pleasure to watch him play. It reminded me so much of watching Earl or Rodney when they're in gear and they don't have to stop and think about anything. He's got such a smooth stroke, and he, and he moves Whitey around with very little effort. It, it was really, you know, that was one of the things that I'm going to take away from that tournament. And I also noticed that CJ was in Vegas for the U.S. Open 10 ball. It would be great if he would get back out there and play some more. He's got the game, and, and he's sure a pleasure to watch. He does, but, you know, when he stepped away from the playing part of the game he made the right decision uh he did the right thing to get away from the game and go into business for himself and make the money that he made and now pool can be a recreation for him and he's driving around in a brand new mercedes and i don't think he'd be doing that had he just stuck with pool full time i hope that you know opening that business and, and he's he's had a, a line of pool halls uh as far as I know, you know, I, I hope that that's been successful enough for him that he can get back into playing again, even recreationally. Yeah, I always enjoyed watching CJ play. He's, he's a very powerful player. Even with all the, the firepower out at that event, and, and it had quite a few of the big names, um, came down to Jeremy Jones and Mike DeShane in the finals. And, you know, if you'd been looking at the brackets or if you'd been looking at the, the roster of players there at the beginning of the event, not trying to take anything away from either one of those guys, you still wouldn't have picked the two of them to be in the finals of that event. No, a lot of guys stubbed their toes out there early. I mean, an awful lot of the big names just didn't show up in that final, that round of the final eight. Again, you can't take it away, especially from, from DeShane. I mean, he, he just played great all week, and he had some tough opponents. He did. And, um, you know, DeShane is somebody that that we've been watching as he has matured in his game. You know, prior to this tournament, his biggest win was the, the World Summit, which, yeah, it was a major title, but... I don't think the players gave that event the same respect that they would something like the Ultimate Ten Ball. Um, DeShane in the past has had a bit of a reputation for being, you know, what do they call him, the Fireball? Well, you know, he's he's had a reputation for being a bit of a hothead. It looked at one time there in the finals, uh, Jeremy got a roll here and there, and it looked like DeShane was was at that point, and, and you were, I mean, I was watching him, and I was thinking, all right, here we go, this is this is when DeShane's going to blow up, and he kept his cool, and I don't know what he said to himself, but he rode through that, came out on the other side, and beat Jeremy, and I think that could very well be a major turning point in his professional pool career. Now, winning a major event, you know, getting through that period where, the spark was there, and he was ready to go off, and he he didn't. 
Yeah, and, you know, before he was called the Fireball, of course, he was called the Pain. <laughs> that name fit him. We'll, we'll have to see how the Fireball, how well that wears on him. Uh, but that's why he was known as the Pain, was because he would just go off on people. And you're right, at the Ultimate Ten Ball event, he kept his head together and uh, acted like a very mature pool player. And, and he reaped the rewards for it. I mean, let's face it. We've got enough players in this game who they crush the rack, they make four balls on the break, they freeze Whitey in the center of the table, and a ball rolls between them and the one ball, and they're staring up at the sky and stomping their feet and whining and crying and, oh, it's just not fair, why is the world so mean to me? We don't need any more players like that. I mean, this game has luck involved in it, and... It's the mark of a champion being able to fade that kind of luck and and still persevering and, and winning events. Yeah, that reminds me. Did you ever get that butt cap fixed on your stick? Uh, no, we'll, we'll, we'll not discuss that later. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, well, obviously we're looking forward to uh, the next event that Mr. Nazat puts on. He may put on up to three events in 2012, and we'll keep everyone posted on how that goes. If his Frisco, actually Dallas event, portends anything, I look for great things out of this gentleman. Well, and he mentioned at the tournament that he had some uh, some sponsors from outside the industry who were in a position to put some money towards the game, uh, and he stressed that one of the keys behind that was the players showing sportsmanship, not behaving badly and you know there were there were enough players in the event who have a history of that sort of thing that I expected we would have blow-ups and we didn't everyone was was very well behaved when they were in the tournament arena you know there were certainly complaints being heard outside of the tournament arena that that guy did such and such and he's everything that's wrong with pool and blah 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 you know you're, you're never going to have a tournament without hearing that after some matches but I thought during the event everyone behaved very well and one other thing I wanted to mention before we moved on to uh, your trip overseas, uh, in the women's division, Angel Paglia had a great event. Um, you know, she she made her way through the early rounds. She beat some opponents that she was supposed to beat. Um, she got up against Vivian, and I thought that that was probably going to be the end of her run, and she beat Vivian. Uh, Angel looked really good. She she faltered there a little bit at the end against uh, the Fishers, but... Uh, a lot of players have done that, so I, I don't think you can you can take off any points for that. Uh, all in all, a third place finish for Angel. Uh, Allison did get the win, and, and Allison showed that she's not ready to hang up that cue just yet. Uh, but I was really pleased to see how Angel did, and and um, you know the two matches that Allison played against Kelly, I thought were both very interesting. Kelly had big leads, and Allison came back to uh, to win. Yeah, I thought Kelly had, had put Allison under the bus a couple of times, and Allison just stood up and walked away from it. It was uh, pretty good to see. Once again, she proves that she has another gear that she can uh, she can put it into when she needs to, which has got to be a scary thing for the rest of the players on the women's tour. Has been for a long time. <laughs> anyway, from Dallas, I got on a long airplane to go to Manila. I, I do not envy you that flight. 
I really, really hate airplanes. <laughs> you know, put me on one for 10 hours or less, and I'm okay. But when it starts stretching out to 12, 13, 14, 15, 17 hours, I just go nuts. And you're trapped. There is nothing you can do. And the airlines now, it's like they're they're trying to see how much they can do to punish you. Uh, <laughs> used to be on an overseas trip, there would be uh, flight attendants walking up and down the aisles the whole time to see if you needed anything. Well, now they serve you their dinner, your dinner, and then they disappear into the crew quarters, uh, either upstairs or downstairs, depending on the plane, and they leave a couple of bottles of water out with no snacks. It used to be when they would disappear, they'd leave out bananas and, uh, you know, granola bars and uh, cookies and Cokes and uh, beer and all sorts of stuff that where you could just go back and help yourself. No more, baby. They are gone, and you don't get service forever. I don't know how some of the players do it. The, you know, the Ralphs and the Torstens, uh, Darren Appleton, you know, they're, they're playing – Everywhere. I mean, if you think about it, what was it? It was Dallas, and then immediately after Dallas, the players left for Beijing. Almost immediately after Beijing, they headed to Manila, and there was that gap tournament, and then there was Manila, and then as soon as Manila was over, they had to rush back to the States for the U.S. Open one pocket or U.S. Open ten ball. Yeah, I know. I don't I don't see how they do it either. I, I certainly would could not and would not. It's just become just tortuous. Uh, it's just awful. <laughs> um, at any rate, but that has nothing to do with the event. I went to the <laughs> World Timball event, of course. And uh, this was put on by Yen Makabenta, who uh, had had some problems in years previous because his sponsors took so long to pay him that the players had to wait a year for their payouts. But all the monies for this and his earlier event in the year, the Philippine Open, were uh, put into the WPA bank account uh, prior to the event starting, so there was no problem with payments. And this one was uh, was very well done. It was held in the World Trade Center in Manila, and um, it was a very nice layout. There was enough room between tables and everything, uh, and it went off on time. I was uh, surprised. Every round went off uh, just about right on time and extraordinarily well-run event. Did uh, did Yen's history of, of payment problems, do you think that affected the player turnout for the event? I think it did for the Philippine Open earlier in the year. But once that everybody got paid real quickly on that one, I think that took away any of the past problems that there might have been. As far as the the home players, I assume the Philippines was was well represented, except for Alex Efren and Boosty. Right, because of the politics there, Puyat won't let them play in any Macabenta event. Right, which, which and, is, um, is a wonderful thing for the game of pool. Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, you're holding a major event in the Philippines, and you're going to not let uh, three of the favorite players for the Philippine fans play in the event, and you're going to make such a statement by doing that. I mean... <laughs> yeah, and and it, it, it's just amazing that, that he would choose to put politics above what's best for Bustamante and uh, 
and Reyes. We know they both wanted to play in that event. And a lot of the other events that Macabenta has held, because let's face it, Macabenta puts $700,000 or more in prize money out there every year, and Puyat doesn't put a dime. No. I mean, Puyat's done some great things for the game, and, and he has certainly done some great things for, for Reyes and Bustamante uh, in their careers. But, I mean, look, everybody out there has buried the hatchet, at least that's the way it appears, all of the, the stable owners have, have allowed their players to play in these events now. You're not accomplishing anything by holding Reyes and Bustamante out of these events. Nothing at all. You're not making a statement. You're, not, you're doing nothing positive and a whole bunch of things negative. And it's just because you're stubborn. The game doesn't need stubbornness right now. The game is struggling enough as it is. We don't need people being stubborn it's ridiculous it is and it's all about or to me and in my opinion it's all about power over a very small universe it's 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 really a power that's not worth this big a fight over um and yet fool has seen that i mean i've been following the game for 40 years and over and over and over again we see people who don't want to give anybody else a slice of their pie even though if they did so, the pie would get much bigger. It, it, it's held the game back for 40 years, and it continues to hold the game back today. But, you know, we could go on and on about that for a long time. So, who'd you see the winner? I, I... A great, a great, great champion. I mean, can you come up with a better guy to, to represent the game than Hoochie? Um, I can't. He's humble. He's quiet. He's polite. He's intelligent. Uh, he's got a, an easy smile. I mean, just, what a great champion. I admit I was shocked. I, I mean, we've seen him play in a number of world events, and uh, I just didn't know he had it in him. Boy, he did this week. He did not put a single foot out of line. When he played Jan Van Fu, I mean, Fu was favored. He just put him down and kept him down. It was that way with every match he played. He played great players, and he just beat them. Well, now, we've had a history in the game of those players who were kind of below the surface, um, who could come out and win a huge event and then disappear again. Is that what we what we see here, or, or is he for real? Well, if it weren't for the fact that he's from Northern Europe, I'd say he could be a flash in the pan, but he's from Northern Europe. So he's got a coach and he works with that coach a great deal. You know, I think that, I think that makes a big difference because it means you're taking your game seriously. You are, uh, you are working on your game and you've got somebody there that you're listening to. And of course we're talking about Johan here. Uh, you're listening to that, is criticizing you constantly and setting new bars for you to leap over, and you do it. Because, I mean, let's face it, Johan Risnick is not going to be an easy guy to be coached for because he, he doesn't tolerate bullshit. No, and, I mean, I don't know of any players that he's involved with that don't excel. I mean, he doesn't, at least from what I've seen, he doesn't just take any Tom, Dick, or Harry who comes out and says, yeah, I want to play pool. Um you know, he, he takes players who are serious about their game and 
you know, he is proof positive that even playing at that level, there are still things that you can learn and there are still things that you can work on with your game. I mean, I've seen him out there critiquing Nils' matches over and over again, and, and Nils is a great player. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but right after their match, Johan goes up to his players and starts talking to them says, okay, this is what you did right, this is what you did wrong, and, you know, before the tournament starts the next day, they're in there working. They're in the tournament room working. Well, and, you know, to go back to a comment earlier, you know, I think it probably helps that the player is not able to walk away from the table and say, oh, I played perfect, I just got two or three bad rolls and the pool gods have it out for me, when you've got an instructor who will step up and say, no, you didn't play perfect. Rack four, you played awful. How could you miss that six ball? Rack seven, come on, your break was terrible. You lost the cue ball. And the players have to stop and say, "Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm going to let the players... names here go unmentioned, but I had a player (laughs) sitting beside me while I was doing the live scoring, and a player who had just gotten beat came up and said, I played perfect and got beat. I never missed a ball and got beat. And he turned around and walked off, and the guy sitting beside me said, I was watching his match. I saw him miss at least 10 shots. (laughs) (laughs) But to be a pool player, you've got to have a very short and selective memory. Yeah, I guess so. Well, after Manila, um, you got to go home, and uh, the players all headed to Vegas. Yep. Uh, I was there briefly, but, you know, I'll be honest, I I spent very little time uh, with the pro event. Uh, Sam was out there doing write-ups for CSI. I was out there pretending I knew what to do in the amateur arena, and pretend being the key word there. But U.S. Open one pocket, Efren Reyes won, imagine that. Yeah, gee, you wouldn't think Efren could win a one-pocket event, would you? (laughs) (laughs) Um, U.S. Open 10-ball, Shane won, which it was good to to see him win the event. Um, It certainly helped his uh, Moscone Cup uh, hopes. You know, that brought him up to either second or third on the Moscone Cup list. You know what I was really shocked of, and, and I think there were a number of players shocked from it, uh, Dennis Haar just had an outstanding event out there. Yeah, I kept noticing uh, people would post on the forums about him, and uh, golly, I, I can't remember the last time I saw him in an event. I think that, that they were saying this was his first real major event, and, you know, I, I admit, I did, uh, you know, when I was in the hotel room, I, I did glance at the brackets a little bit, because Mitch Ellerman was out there, and I like to follow Mitch and see how he's doing, and, you know, I was looking at Dennis Haar and, and how he had managed to stay on the winner's side for so long, and I, and I looked at the players that he played, and I said, all right, you know, it, yeah, he deserves to be there, but... You know, the draw can be kind to some people, and, and it was it appeared to have been being kind to him on the winner's side, but on the one-loss side, when you can beat Ellerman, DeShane, and Pinnegar, you didn't get there based on, a, on an easy draw. You got there based on playing, and, you know, to beat Pinnegar 8-3 and Ellerman 8-2, that takes, that takes a bit of a game. It absolutely does, and... You know, I hate to cut you short, but we've had Mike Deshane waiting on the other line now for quite a while. Don't you think we should be getting to him? Definitely. Let's uh, let's uh, put this on hold, and um, let's see if Mike's there, and then we can uh, get right back to it. Mike Deshane, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well today, Jerry, and yourself? 
Oh, I can't complain. Can't complain. Got a little storm going down here, and we needed it. Man, you're the hottest thing on the planet right now. Uh, you did. You've been having great success. Uh, you won the uh, ultimate ten ball championship in Dallas. You came in fourth at the Masters. You came in seventh at the ten ball event in uh, Vegas. Is uh, is ten ball your game? Uh, I guess it is right now. Happy I mean, to be right. The break coming down to the break. I'm getting lucky. <laughs> <laughs> no, I tell you what, I see a lot of differences in people's ten ball breaks. And it does yeah. seem to be the break that, that sets up their game. How do you approach the 10-ball break? You know, I'm not going to lie. I kind of got a lot of information off Shane, you know, back when he was when it was successful for him three or four years ago. I mean, it still is. He's still probably the best 10-ball breaker in the world. But uh, it's the same concept, you know, breaking from the center of the table, making sure you're getting a good rack and playing position on the one. Well, that ultimate 10-ball event that you won in Dallas, we were talking about it earlier you went through a heck of a tough field there. Uh, that must have uh, been a very pleasant experience for you to, to win that event. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, it was, a great, it was a tough field overall. I mean, 96 unbelievable players. It was it was definitely an experience, you know, getting down to the final stages, especially on the loss side. When I lost, you know, usually when I if I do really well in a tournament, I'm really undefeated late. But I actually had a couple matches on the one loss side, and it was definitely a new experience altogether. So I, yeah. I kind of liked it. You know, it was fun. Talking about how you've how you've been playing lately and you know, trying to write it off to luck, which, you know, none of us buy. Um, I was just looking over Moscone Cup uh, standings, uh, working with Luke on them, and um, – They've always uh, they've always announced that that list was going to to throw away your worst event. So you know we we were looking at where everybody was. You've got a lead on that list, almost big enough that you could sit out a tournament right now and not lose first place on that list. I mean, what has changed this year from in the past? I mean, you've been a you've been a good player for the past couple of years, but you haven't played at this level. What's what's going on? You know, I've always felt the same. I've always felt the way I do now. I've just, I've really put in a little extra, extra work in the past year to making it all happen. Confidence is, is, is a huge part of anybody's game. You know, I'm not gonna, I don't lack there. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just, you know, it's going into every match feeling good. And, you know, and I've changed, you know, now when I go to a tournament, it's strictly business. I just, you know, I just want to play pool, you know, go play pool, eat a good meal, and then off to bed. So that's really what's changed, you know, focus and and practice and just being confident. Well, you know, Jerry and I talked about this prior to, to you joining us. And, I mean, let's be honest, in the past, there has been that reputation that, that sometimes you can be a little hot-tempered. I didn't see any of that in uh, in Dallas, and there were opportunities for that to happen. I mean, is that something that you are actively working on uh, keeping under control? Absolutely. Uh, that was definitely a big part of my past, and I think a lot of people judge me from my past. I haven't really uh, acted up or done anything badly in the past, I don't know, year, two years. It's been a long time since anything has happened. That's something I think, you know, I've worked on a ton. Not going to lie, I'd go see a little help about it. You know, I definitely, I don't like losing. No, I don't know who does. I just have a hard time 
controlling it than other people. So, yeah, I, I mean, that's definitely something I've worked on for sure. Trust me, none of us like losing. Mike, you can attest to that. Uh. <laughs> um, this question's a bit off base, but I've always wanted to ask it of a, of a young pool player with a lot of talent. And that definitely describes you right now. You're what, 23 years old? I'm 23, turning four next month, 24 next Monday. Okay. You obviously have everything you need to, to be a winner on the pro circuit for a long time. But is this how you're going to make your living? And the reason I'm asking you that question is I can't name any pro pool players who ever retired from pro, pro pool. Most pro pool players, when they die, we get to take up a collection for their tombstone. Yeah. So um, what is your future? Are you going to do something else and have pool in your life, or are you going to try and make a living off of pool? Well, I'm hoping that if all goes well and if I continue to win, that I can actually be one of the few that can make a living off it. But I'm also going to have, I'm also planning on having little side ventures as well. You know, maybe a pool business. You know what everybody does for for sure. But it's definitely it's definitely a scary thought. You know, thinking about that, I haven't really put much thought into it. I don't know. I have a good feeling that I'm, I think I'm going to be fine. I really do. I don't know. Just going with my gut instinct. But I don't, I mean, I have no vices. I mean, I do have vices, but I don't, I'm not, I'm not a degenerate gambler or I have no problems like that. So my money, I saved my money and, and you know, I'm, I'm doing, doing okay. Good. I hope you continue to just remember that Irving Crane was a Cadillac salesman. Moscone worked for Brunswick. Uh, the thing that strikes me is that all the pro players in the generation that I came up in, they all had jobs that they made their living with. And they mm -hmm. played pro pool on the side. And that includes yeah. Moscone and Karras and Crane, Greenleaf, all the greats you can think of. None of them made their living off pool. And their prize funds were bigger than the ones we're playing for now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm a new generation for sure. I'd like to see the, this next uh, generation that comes in with, with myself definitely change change the game a little bit. You know, I think it's definitely being held up right now badly hopefully time can tell i mean time's the only thing that's gonna be able to tell but i think uh i think pool's gonna take a step in the right direction especially with the new generation for sure i do hope you're right mike uh you know we've we've seen you in just about every major event here in the states um you've made the rounds for years and years uh something we haven't seen you do though is represent the U.S. out there on the international stage, uh, world championships, that sort of thing. Is that something that, that you're looking at now? Yeah, it's something I'm, I'm venturing into for sure. Uh, it's, it's definitely an expensive trip. Not saying, I mean, I don't like, I, I put myself in all the tournaments that I go to. So it's an expensive on, on hotel and travel going overseas. But I guess the payoff is, is a lot better than over here. But it's something, you know, it's something that I'm building myself up to. I'm de I definitely think I'm going to make at least one or two of them this year. I just haven't picked the ones yet. So I don't know. It's I definitely 100% in the future. Okay. And I, going back to the comment about the Moscone list, um, I, I would assume that you're like every other American pool player, and that's uh, that's real big on your priority list. Oh, absolutely. That's what this year is about. Uh, I was actually going overseas for the, I think, what was the tournament that just happened, the Beijing Open? Right. 
I was booking tickets for it when I got the call saying that it was taken off the Moscone Cup points list. So I really, really, that's just my main goal. I feel like some good things can happen off of that tournament alone. So that's my focus right now. Well, um, you look at what Dennis Hatch did out there two years ago. That was, you know, that was kind of a, a major thing in his career. You know, the Moscone Cup has has made some careers, and it's certainly uh, done some damage to some careers. Uh, not that we would wish that on anyone, but uh, it's definitely something to shoot for. I mean, looking at the at the point list, it would take a, a monumental collapse from here for you not to make it. Yeah. Let's knock on one on that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I feel I feel I feel really good about it, guys. I really do. Well, I only have one more. I would assume that the next event where I will be in your company would be probably Turning Stone. Uh, yes. When is that? That's in August. Yeah. There's also the Seminole Tour, which is a Moscone Cup event in at my home pool hall, Snookers, in Providence, Rhode Island. That's going to be a pretty big tournament. Oh, cool. So I don't know. I don't know if you're going to cover the Moscone Cup events, but uh, we cover them in press. I won't be at that one um, okay. in person, but I will be at Turnstone, and I'm sure I'll also see you at the U.S. Open. Oh yeah, Turnstone U.S. Open for sure. Okay. Well, Mike, it's been a pleasure talking to you. We'd like to wish you uh, all the luck in the world from AZ Billiards. Uh, Thank you, guys. We love much. Uh, new stars come up. You are shooting through the sky as a very bright light. Thank you very much, guys. All right. Mike, thanks very much. We will uh, see you. Yeah, thanks. And we'll see you soon. See you guys as well. Bye-bye. Well, it was good talking to Mike. I mean, he's a very comfortable young man, a very confident young man, uh, should have a bright future in the game. He's going to be one to watch in the years to come because, you know, he's got the kind of personality uh, that TV is going to like. He's got the kind of exuberance that, that sponsors are going to like. Uh, he could have a nice future in this game. If he can just keep that uh, that temper under control, which he seems to be doing a good job at it now. I mean, you and I have seen enough players, Errol uh, <coughs> Strickland, who um, brought their, their temper under control and then it was a short-lived thing and you know, not having, look, I can attest to this, not having self-control has destroyed many uh, careers and pool cues and Lord knows anything else. I mean, yeah, he's got all the ability. You know, it, it's funny. We were at Turning Stone, you know, real quickly. We were at Turning Stone uh, at the last one when the power went out and they were working on uh, on battery backup. So the players were all out in the arena uh, kind of goofing around waiting for the, the lights to come back up for real. And a handful of players, uh, Strickland, Charlie Williams, uh, maybe Johnny Archer, were over at one of the tables kind of kind of playing a little bit of billiards horse with each other. You know, Earl would set up a stroke shot and say, you know, let's see one of you young kids, you know, show me a stroke and, and you know, get shape on this ball from here. And you'd see the players get up there and take three or four shots at it and maybe have it happen once. DeShane watched this for a little while and he walked up to the table and said, here, and just kind of, you know, moved up there with his cue, two or three practice strokes, fired the ball in the center of the hole, and, and Whitey danced around the table back to where it was supposed to be. And he's like, that was difficult, Earl? You know, what what were you trying to, what was so hard about that? I mean, the, the kids got the talent. Uh, it, it's just, 
a question of himself. I think if he can, if he can get by himself and keep that under control, he's got a very bright future. I agree, and it's you know it's a more it's more than just a question of of can he control himself. It's can he develop the work ethic that the Northern Europeans and the uh, Chinese and uh, the Taiwanese have developed uh, so that he can keep up with them on the world stage? And will he be able to analyze his own uh, faults and be able to work on them? That's one thing where I see the, the Americans have a terrible disadvantage because none of them have a coach. Yeah, and that's a huge if. I mean, even looking at, at Shane Van Boning, who she, uh, Mike said that he thought he was the best or had the best 10-ball break in the game. Uh, I think Shane is probably the best 10-ball player in the U.S. But Shane goes through those periods where he doesn't play up to his ability. You know, it's it's funny that he was there was just something online about him uh, – playing Alex in a, in a long race the other night at a pool room, and he won that pretty handily. And not many guys beat Alex handily in anything. Right. But, you know, Shane mentioned that he had been playing a lot over in Asia. You know, Shane seems to get by just by staying in, in stroke. It's that old Karen Core thing. As long as I'm in action, I'm playing at my best uh, level. So the Americans, even the top Americans, really don't have that coach that they can fall back on I think it would be huge to have someone step into the, the role of Johan in North America, but it would require the top North American players admitting that that could help their game and without a government with Olympic money backing them, it would take the players actually coming up with some cash and North American players are probably not going to do that. <laughs> You're right. Hey, we got to get out of here, buddy. Uh, so I will sign off for us both. I'm Jerry Forsyth for Mike Howerton. And this has been Run Out Radio. We're brought to you by the Tap League, Lucasi Hybrid Cues, and Simonis Billion Cloth. We'll be talking to you all again very shortly.